Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hey, Cornerstone Church family, it is so good to worship with you guys today. Uh, man, I hate that I'm not there in person, right? I hate that I'm not there in person. I am right now currently in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. I'm getting my tan on, I'm getting nice and crispy, I'm eating seafood, but I, I do, I do got to say this, I miss you guys. I miss you guys. So I'm worshiping with you in spirit today. I will be back next week in person as we continue uh, this series. Um, but can we first just give a real quick thank you to Pastor Donnie for how well he preached last week? Can we give it up for Pastor Donnie? Let's make him blush. Let's just make him blush whatever service he is in. Uh, but he did a fantastic job last week kicking off this brand new series for us, Talking Elephants and Tipping Cows. Uh, and basically what we're doing, we're having some discussions on some really hard topics throughout this six-week series. That's why we have this setup. We want to uh, help you envision the idea that you are up here with us on stage. You're sitting here and we're not preaching at you. We're talking with you. We're having a discussion up here talking about some pretty, pretty tough topics, some things that can be pretty hard to talk about, some elephants in the room. Um, so last week, Pastor Donnie kicked us off talking about politics in the pews, talking about how Christians are to handle and to engage and to be a part of politics in our world, which, man, that is a tough tough topic to talk about, one that churches uh, usually avoid, right? Um, but we want to talk about it. We want to talk about those tough issues, and that's exactly what we're going to continue doing today as we jump into another tough topic, namely the topic of hell. Hell, right? Hell is something that we think we know a lot about in the church, that we know a lot about in the Christian world. Um, there's a lot on the topic, right? If you go to Wikipedia and look up hell's Wikipedia page, your thumb will be sore from scrolling and scrolling. There's so much information and so much content. Uh, and that's because there's so many opinions on hell, right? Uh, music, poetry, culture, art, movies, all of this, all of these different things have given different views and opinions and have influenced our view of what hell really is and what it looks like. But the funny thing is, is if we really take a step back and we look at the average person's view of hell, uh, it more closely resembles Dante's Inferno than the Bible, right? Like it more closely looks like things that you would see out in the world, like the world's depiction of what hell is, rather than what scripture actually tells us hell is. And we don't want that to be the case, right? We wanna make sure that we think biblically, that Cornerstone, we are a biblical church that thinks about things in the proper way. Uh, so what we're going to do today is we are going to try to be uh, uh, very clear about the things that scripture is clear about when it comes to hell. And on some of the things that are just more kind of, we don't know, they're unknown, we're gonna leave them unresolved, right? Um, so today, kind of how I was thinking we would format this uh, is kind of like a Q&A, right? 
So I've looked up uh, and, and researched some of the biggest questions that people have around the topic of hell. And so basically what we're going to do, we're just going to walk through the top 10 questions that people have about hell, because we want to get some kind of clarity on this, see what scripture says about this really, really tough topic, this thing that maybe we don't like to think about or talk about that much, so we can have clarity. Now, um, just a quick reminder before we go any further into today, um, and this wasn't just true for last week when Pastor Donnie preached, and it's not just true for this week, it's true for every week of this series. What we are doing is we are having a conversation, we're not building a platform, okay? So if you're coming into these weeks being like, oh great, I'm going to learn Cornerstone's stance on politics, I'm going to learn Cornerstone's stance on hell or on sex or on suicide, that's not what we're doing. Full stop, that's not what we're doing. What we're doing is having a discussion. <laughs> we're having a discussion with each other. We're not building a platform. We're not letting the world know where we stand on all these things. We just want to talk it out because what we believe is that church should be the place more than any other place where we can talk about difficult, hard, tough topics. Church should be a place where we can talk about the elephants in the room uh, safely and freely. And so that's what we're going to do uh, every week of the series as we look at these difficult topics, as we look at these elephants in the room. And we're going to handle them the way that we should. We're going to handle them the way that Christians should. I love in Matthew 20, 26, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, but among you, but among my followers, things will be different. Now, Jesus is talking about the way that we relate to power, but that's also applicable in almost every way that a follower of Jesus relates to things. It's supposed to be different. Among you, it will be different. So things are going to be different whenever we talk about uh, tense topics in the church. We're not going to be like the world. We're not going to be like other people who let this kind of stuff divide us. No, we're going to rally around the fact that we all love each other, that we're all safe in church, and that we can have these difficult conversations in a healthy, healthy way. So let's do that. Let's hop in on this topic of hell. Now, basically, I have kind of separated this into two halves. So the first half of the questions we're going to be looking at are just kind of like the basics of hell, the uh, basic information that you may wonder about hell or ha had questions about. And then the second half uh, of today's sermon are going to be looking at more um, personal questions that relate to the topic of hell. So let's get going. Let's start in. Question number one, does hell really even exist? Is there really even a hell? Well, let me just say, yes, there is. Um, otherwise, this would be a really, really short sermon, right? Like, nope, no hell, let's pack it up, let's get out of here. No, that, that's not the case. There is a hell. We know that to be the case because Scripture affirms it over and over again. Um, you may not like it. You may feel like, oh, that's hard for me to reconcile. It's hard for me to deal with. But it is the case. We can't deny that hell, from what we see in Scripture, is a real place. In fact, we can't deny that hell is a real place because scripture talks about hell in the same kind of terms that it talks about heaven. So if we want to believe and have confidence in the future and in the hope of heaven, we can't deny the reality of hell. Scripture talks about them in the same kind of way, in the same kind of terms. And not just that, Jesus, who we talk about over and over and over again here at Cornerstone, how he is our authority, Jesus himself references hell 11 times. Like he, he talks about it quite a bit in his ministry throughout the four different gospels. So again, we can't, 
We can't logically uh, say that there is not a hell. There is. Scripture seems to uh, affirm that idea over and over and over again. So that's question number one. Does a hell exist? Yes, it does. Now, question number two, this is a question that a lot of people want to know. Where is hell located? Like, where, where do you find hell? Uh, I, I'm sure there'd be a lot of people who are watching today who would say, I know where hell is. It's my local DMV office, right? Can I get an amen on that? If you've ever spent <laughs> any time waiting in the DMV line, um, kidding, obviously. But look, scripture actually doesn't specify like an exact location of hell, right? I know that we may think, well, it's, it's below, right? Isn't hell like... It's, it's there. Like, I, I can't really put in other words other than hell is there and heaven is there, right? Isn't that what scripture says? Well, scripture does have a few different verses um, that kind of give an idea of hell being below. Like um, Ephesians 4, 9 talks about Jesus descending below to the lower parts of the earth after his uh, crucifixion. Um, so there's things like that that kind of give an illusion that hell is below us. Um, But honestly, what a lot of theologians believe and agree on this is that that's not actually like the physical location of hell, that it's below us. It's more of a metaphor, right? It's speaking more in a metaphor. Um, Same kind of thing with with heaven. Whenever we talk about heaven being above us, we don't literally mean heaven's like right up here. It's it's more speaking in metaphorical terms. And in all honesty, we just got to stop thinking about some things so literally in scripture Um, Like in the book of Revelation, whenever it talks about, you know, the streets made of gold, we instantly start thinking of like gold bars lining the streets. Whenever in actuality, what a lot of theologians believe is that John was really just trying to articulate what he was seeing as best he could. And because the streets were so beautiful and so shiny, he's like, man, I mean, they look like gold, right? But we think of things so literally. And so whenever it comes to the location of hell, we're like, oh, it's It's at the center of the earth, right? It's below us. If we dug deep enough, we would be able to find hell. But the fact is, we don't have any specification on where hell is located in Scripture. Anything beyond that is just us guessing. So that's question number two. Question number three, is hell a place of literal fire? Is hell a place of literal fire? This is one that we hear a lot. And there are a lot of verses in scripture that talk about this idea that hell is a lake of fire. It's a a consuming fire. Um, This is Jesus talking in Mark 9, 43. Uh, He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. So Jesus refers to hell as a place of fire. Um, but really, whenever, whenever we see uh, in the New Testament, whenever Jesus or anyone else refers to hell, what they're referring to, the, the word used there is Gehenna. Gehenna. And Gehenna is a valley in uh, th- that area just outside of Jerusalem. It's a valley that has a, a long history. At one point in Israel, this valley was a place where the Israelites in one of their most um, audacious ways that they walked away from God. They actually performed, uh, performed child sacrifice in this valley. They would uh, burn children in this valley uh, as an offering to the false god Molech. Uh, and so this valley of Gehenna had a terrible history. It was deemed ceremonially unclean because of these awful things that had happened here in the past. And so by the time Jesus came along, this valley was actually used as like a refuse heap. It's where they would, uh, it was basically like the local dump, right? And so they would have a fire constantly going there to burn up the refuse from the, uh, from the city. So 
when Jesus was talking about this place and he's talking about Gehenna, it was giving people this idea of what hell would be like. Oh, it's this place of fire. It's this place of separation. Um, And that's actually the most important thing that we take away from Jesus referring to Gehenna and using that as a metaphor for hell. Um, The fire, sure, that's important. That's important. But the most important thing that Jesus was trying to symbolize by the idea of referring to Gehenna as hell, as this place that, where we go if we refuse God, the most important thing wasn't the fire, it's the separation. That's really what Jesus was trying to hit on um, throughout his ministry, throughout his teaching, is not fire so much as separation. Um, and so whenever we think about it from that lens, and again, this is something that I, I, I saw through a lot of my study and research on this sermon So whenever we think about that, whenever we think about the fact that hell is really all about separation from God, um, I want to ask you, just just think about some of the worst decisions you've made in your life. Um, Some of the worst decisions, maybe it was a relationship, it was a job, uh, it was a move, something like that, a career move, a physical move to a new home, new area. Just a decision that you made that ended up being just absolutely awful. And I'm not just talking about a, a little bad decision, I mean a terrible, terrible decision how did you feel afterwards, right? In the aftermath of that decision, you felt awful. You felt terrible. If you've ever made a bad decision, like I've made a bad decision, I I can think of those exact moments, those exact feelings, and it feels like your heart's gonna explode, right? You just feel awful, you feel tense, you feel nervous, anxiety, all these awful, awful feelings. Um, And it borderline is like your emotions and your feelings are on fire, right? Like you're, you're, you're burning with the stress and anxiety of the decision you've made. Now think about that decision, whatever decision you're, you're thinking of and how, how bad it was. Now imagine you've made the decision to eternally separate yourself from God's presence, God's love, God's mercy. How are you gonna feel in the aftermath of that? Exactly, <laughs> awful. You wanna talk about feeling like you're, you're on fire and, and your, your heart's about to explode from making a bad decision in this life. Imagine making the ultimate bad decision, rejecting God's love and God's presence. And so it could be that a lot of times when scripture is re- referring to fire, that this is more what it means. But what we do know, hell could be a literal place of fire, but what we do know is that it is a place where we are eternally separated from God. We're separated from his presence and that would rightfully burn us up. That would rightfully burn up our emotions and our feelings and our stress and our anxiety of realizing the the absolute trauma of the decision that we have made. So that's question number three, kind of a a tricky one with with not a lot of um, definite answer on that one, right? Not a lot of definite answer. Um, Question number four. Are there different levels of hell depending on your sin? This is one that I've actually had people ask me before uh, a lot. Like, are there varying levels of punishment? Are there varying levels of sin? Almost as if, like, hell has a VIP spot, right? (laughs) Where, like, you were one of the worst sinners in all history. You got, like, a special room just dedicated to you. So are there different levels of hell depending on your sin? Um, This, again, is something that we mostly pick up from culture, from art, 
from media rather than from scripture. Um, Dante's Inferno, uh, that, that uh, poem that, or that story hits on this idea that as you get closer and closer through the circles of hell, the closer you get to the middle is where things really, really get bad and the worst of the worst are punished. Um, so that's really where that idea comes from. The Bible does every now and then hint at the idea that we'll be judged specifically over things that we did. Um, for example, Revelation twenty twelve says this, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So some people read that, that the dead will be a judged according to what they've done, and they take that and they go, well, you know, then that means that some people will be judged more harshly in hell than other people, than other people, right? Um, I mean, I guess you could say that, but honestly, um, it, it's, it's another one of those things where we just don't know. And if you're following, um, you're seeing that's kind of a recurring theme, that there are so many things whenever it comes to hell that we just don't really have a super clear picture on. It's a lot of metaphor. It's a lot of illustration. It's a lot of word pictures. And we just don't know. We're just not sure. And let me tell you, that's a liberating thing to be able to just say, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and that's another area where we don't know. So let's move on. Question number five. Is the devil the ruler of hell? <laughs> is, is the devil the ruler of hell? Like, is that his domain? And heaven is God's domain? And the devil rules down here and he rules up there? Um, Despite what we would see in the cartoons, this is, this is one of those things where we can unequivocally say, no, the devil is not the ruler of hell. He's not the boss of hell. That's not his domain or anything like that. Again, this is another idea we get from Dante's Inferno. Um, Jesus, we, we talked about this back during our, our Easter series. Jesus is king over all, including hell. Jesus is king. There, there's no Jesus is king, but Jesus is king, well, no, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord over everything, including hell. The devil is not the ruler of hell. Listen to what Jesus says. This is from the book of Revelation. This is chapter one, verse 18. Jesus says, I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Some translations say, I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is king and is Lord over all. That means our enemy, the devil, he is not the boss of hell. He's not the ruler of hell. And this is something we need to make sure we understand just in general. The devil is not the ruler of any area of life. He doesn't get to rule over hell. He doesn't get to rule over you. He doesn't get to rule over your addictions, over your past, over your insecurities. He doesn't get to rule over anything. I'll tell you the only place, the only place that the devil is the boss, the only place that the devil rules, the only place that is the devil's domain, that place is the place that you allow him to be. That's it. It's the only place that he gets to rule. It's the only place that he gets to have his say-so is where you allow him to have say-so. So no, the devil is not the ruler of hell. All right, question number six, and this will be the last of kind of the um, basic questions about hell. Question number six, is hell eternal or does it end at some point? Now, this, honestly, this could be its own sermon because this is a really deep question um, with a lot of disagreement. Uh, th there's, 
you know, the, the mainline historic church believe, yes, hell ha- is eternal, eternal uh, suffering, eternal punishment, right? That, that, that's what it is. Um, but there are people, there's a, a growing number of people who kind of fall on what's called the annihilationism side. Basically what that uh, says, it's this idea that they believe that at some point, all of the people who um, have rejected God in this life, they will just cease to exist, Hence the term annihilationism. They'll be annihilated. They just will cease to exist anymore. Um, and where, where they kind of get this idea from, there, there's quite a few scriptures that you can get this idea from. This is one of them. Um, 2 Thessalonians 1.9, uh, it says, they will be punished with eternal destruction, eternal destruction forever separated from the Lord and his glorious power. And so people who are annihilationists, they, they see this common uh, a theme of people who reject God facing destruction or being destroyed or utterly being destroyed. And they read these and they go, okay, well, for something to be destroyed means that it just, it's, it doesn't exist anymore. It's, it's gone, right? It's gone. Um, and they'll use the example of how uh, scripture will t- say that people will be burned up like wheat, right? Becoming chaff, becoming fine, becoming nothingness. And they'll say, well, that's, that's what scripture's saying is that people will become nothing, right? That people become nothing. They'll, uh, uh, after a certain time, God will just cause them to cease to exist. Now, that could be, that could be the case, um, but there are other verses, plenty of verses that talk about, no, this is something that's eternal. This is not something that will have an end or a final point. Um, This is what Jesus says in Matthew 25, verse 41. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire the eternal fire. And so people read that and say, well, you know, Jesus seems to be pretty clear there that hell is not something that only lasts for a finite period of time. No, it's eternal. It's ongoing, eternal separation from God. So that's another one of those ones where maybe it it, it leans a little bit more clear on it being eternal, but there is some disagreement with people who uh, are really faithful Christians who take the Bible very seriously. Um, What I will say about that issue in particular, and all of the ones really that we've talked about so far, um, none of these are issues of salvation. Like if, if any of these things I've been reading and we've been going through these questions on is hell a, a place of literal fire? Where is it located? Are there different levels of hell depending on your sin? Man, none of these are salvation is- issues. None of these are essential core doctrines of the Christian faith. So um, nothing for us to fight with one another over if we have different agreements or disagreements on these things. Again, we're having a conversation. We're not building a platform. Um, so that, that's it for the more basics of hell. Okay. So like I said earlier today, today is a lot more of a teaching than preaching. We're just kind of looking at this idea of hell and trying to get uh, some handles on it so we can talk about it articulately and kind of know what's going on here. So there's, there's your basics. So you can kind of feel like you, you know, what's going on uh, with hell, but now we're going to move into some of the more personal stuff, the more personal questions we may have about hell. Um, so here we go. Question number seven, do people who have never heard of Jesus go to hell? Now, this is a big question. This is one that has a lot of debates on it. Um, so basically, I'm going to give you my belief. This is, this is my belief from the study I've done, from the research I've done, the, the scripture reading I've done. Will someone go to hell if they've never heard of Jesus? Not necessarily. That's what I would say. Not necessarily. Um, and, and it kind of goes to this. Whenever we say 
people will go to hell if they've never heard of Jesus, then basically, basically what we're saying is that we don't really believe the Holy Spirit is real, right? Um, if, if someone has to be handed a Bible and be able to read it, and that's the only way that they'll be able to hear about Jesus or be able to sit in a church and hear about Jesus. If that's the only way, then what we're basically saying is that the Holy Spirit isn't actually real, that he can't speak to someone's heart on his own, that he can't draw people close to him on his own. Uh, and I, I believe that is the case. I believe that is the case. I believe there are plenty of people in the world. Think about this right now. There are over 500, this is an estimated number, over 500 million people living in the world today who do not have access to a Bible in their language. Think about that. 500 million people. We're just so used to and accustomed to having scripture that we can't even, we can't even really think about it that way. But there are 500 million people who will have no chance to ever hear about Jesus in the way that you heard about Jesus. But you see, I believe that God is faithful and that God reveals himself to people through the power of the Holy Spirit in very real, very tangible ways. This is what the book of Romans tells us, Romans 1 uh, verse 20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You see, God reveals himself. He reveals himself to people. God is faithful. He's faithful. He will search people out, even if they don't know the name of Jesus, even if they can't articulate it that way, God will seek people out. I I remember reading this story uh, a few years ago, and I looked it up this week just to make sure I was remembering it correctly, of a tribe in the Amazon that's like an untouched tribe, one of these tribes that like they've had such crazy limited contact with the outside world never heard of Jesus, never heard of God, of the Bible, anything like that. So this group of missionaries wants to go in, wants to reach these people uh, for for Jesus. So they learn the language, right? They they study, they do all this different stuff. They finally are able to make the trek into this village. They start contacting one of the women there and they're, they're, they're talking with her and they're through the broken language, right? They're trying to talk with her and they're trying to say, hey, look, we're we want to tell you why we're here. We're here to, to love on you, to try to help you in any way, we, any way we can. We want to build your school. We want to teach you some things. And we want to also, if you would be okay with it, share with you about Jesus, the son of, of the creator God who made everything. We want to tell you about him. And as this missionary is telling it to this woman who lives in this tribe that's pretty much untouched, she starts like freaking out and she's telling someone to go get her son and her husband for them to come. And so they come over and then they eventually find out, um, uh, well, they start talking. They say to the missionary woman, come with us. We want to show you to your hut. And she's like, my hut? Like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, we built this for you. It's like, you built it for me. So they walk over and they show this missionary and her friends this hut that they built for him. And they explain to her, they said, we had heard on a radio, they had this one radio in the the, uh, town. We had heard on this, on our radio about the creator God who loves us and his son, Jesus, We didn't know what to make of it. We didn't know what to think of it. But we prayed that if this was true, that God would send people to help us. And then here, one summer later, here you guys come to see us, to help us. And so I say all that to say this, people who have never heard of Jesus before, God is faithful. God is faithful. We can trust 
their future and their eternity to his hands. And us as his church, we just have to keep doing our job of telling as many people about Jesus as we possibly can and trust that God is faithful with the rest. So the next two questions, questions eight and nine, um, these ones are, are kind of similar. So I'm gonna kind of join them together for us to talk about them. Again, these are uh, very personal, very hard questions for us to deal with. But this is what question eight is. Is hell really a just punishment for sinners? Is hell really a just punishment for sinners? And then question number nine is very much similar to it. Why would a loving God send people to hell? Again, very, very big questions, very, very big uh, issues to talk about, right? Elephants in the room. Um, is hell a just punishment? Let me, let me put it this way. Um, I think it all comes down to how do you view sin? How do you view sin? Um, do you see sin as something that has to be punished or as something that has natural consequences to it, right? I think how you answer that question says a lot about if you see hell as being a just punishment or not. Um, See, what I believe, I believe that um, sin, this is what I see in scripture, sin has built-in consequences, right? That whenever God, because God is a good father, when God tells us to avoid sin, he's not doing it because he's saying, well, you know what, Um, there's actually nothing wrong with that activity or that thing or that way that you talk. There's nothing wrong with it at all. I just arbitrarily am calling it sin and going to punish you if you do wrong, right? That's how a lot of us think. It's how a lot of us act about sin. Um, but I don't, I don't see that in Scripture at all. What I see in Scripture is God saying, hey, look, I, I made you. I know you. I know how you best function and how you function. When you function up to your best, it brings me glory and it brings me happiness because I know that my loved child is living the way that they should live. And when you break that, when you go against that, there are natural consequences that are just going to happen as a result of you breaking away from the natural order of how you are supposed to live and how you are supposed to act. So I think about that and I think about uh, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author and theologian, who whenever he described hell, he said that hell is a place where the doors are locked on the inside. That hell is a place of choice. No one is sent there. We select to go there. And so if that's true, if, if, if sin is, leads to the natural consequences of things, and if hell is a place that we choose to go, then yes, I can say that hell is a just thing because hell is a selected destination. It's a place that we choose to go to or choose to avoid. Hell is a selected separation. We can either choose to reject God or choose to accept him. We can either choose to be in his presence or choose to be separated from his presence. So in that sense, yes, it is just because God is leaving it up to us. Because again, I believe God is faithful and everybody will have an opportunity at some point to either accept God's presence or reject God's presence, to either be with him or to be separated, which leads us to the other question, question nine, why would a loving God send people to hell? Like I said, the the questions are very similar, so the answers are very similar. Um, I don't believe that God sends people to hell. I believe people select to go to hell. They don't say it that way, but rejecting God's presence 
is accepting separation from God. And so it's not so much God sending people as people choosing themselves. Again, as C.S. Lewis says, hell's doors are locked on the inside. I know this is heavy stuff, man. This is, this is heavy stuff. This is a tough topic. Like we said, it's the elephant in the room. Um, there, there's, some, there's some hard things for us to deal with on this topic. The most hard being this, this final question. I'm going to ask the worship team um, if they would get ready to come back up on the stage as we go over this last question. And this last question, the reason I saved this for last is because really I think this is, this is the question behind all the other questions we've talked about, all the other ones. If we really get down to it, this is the question that we all want to know. Question number 10, is my loved one really in hell right now? Chances are you've got someone in your life, I know I do, you've got someone in your life who has passed on and you cannot say with any kind of confidence what their relationship with God was like. You just, you, you just don't know. Um, and so all these other questions, honestly, they're window dressing. <laughs> you don't really care where hell is located. You, you know, is hell a place of literal fire? Is the devil the ruler of hell? That's kind of more interesting doctrine and theology things to kind of toss around and, and think about. But really the, the, the nuts and bolts of it, you want to know, hey, my, my cousin, my, my brother, my, my best friend, I don't know where they were with God. Are they really in hell today? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and this is what I would say. You don't know either. Uh, in fact, only one person knows. God knows. God's the only one who would have that information. This is what I would say to you, though. If you are someone who has a loved one who has um, a questionable faith walk, you don't know where it's at, uh, this is what I would tell you, and I promise you this is not me sugarcoating or anything like that. This is, the, this is the biblical truth of the matter. This is what I do know to be the case. God is faithful, and he was chasing them to the very end. I don't know who that person is in your life, but I know that God loves them more than you love them, that God created them with purpose and potential, and he loves them, and he wants to give them the same kind of grace and mercy that he has given you. So no, we can't know for certain the eternal state of, of some of these people in our lives where it just felt kind of iffy. We can't know, but what we can know is that God is faithful. Listen to what it says in John three seventeen. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That's what God wants to do. He doesn't want to see anyone perish. He doesn't want to see anyone choose eternal separation. And so what he is going to do is throw every opportunity and every chance that he can at people to accept him, to accept his gift of forgiveness and freedom and purpose. So what I would tell you today is, the assurance you can have, not of where someone is today, but how much God loves them, and that that is never in question. And that's the one thing that you can have complete confidence in, that Jesus chases after all of us in the same way he chased after you, he chased after the people in your life that you love, and that's the assurance that you can have today. I know this was a, a heavy talk, right? Um, this is a big, a big topic one that a lot of us would care 
to avoid ever discussing, that we would care to uh, never have to think about. Um, But whenever we realize the love of the Father, whenever we realize the love of the Son, we can think about a topic like hell. We can talk about a topic like hell, knowing that, you know what? The only way anyone ever ends up there is by their own choice. Because God is faithful and he chases us down to the very end. That's the assurance we can have. Can I pray with you real quick? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us, for your grace for us, for your mercy for us. We thank you for the fact that you love us so much and that you wanted relationship with us so much. You didn't just create mindless robots that had no choice but to worship you and to love you and to choose being in your presence. No, you built us with the capacity for love, with the capacity for free will, with the capacity for choice. And so God, even as we talk about such a difficult topic today that so many people look at and see and try to say that you are unloving because there is a hell, honestly, God, we can look at hell and see how much you do love because you have given us a choice. You don't want to force yourself on anyone. And so we have the choice to be in your presence or to choose to be separated from you. God, what I ask today is that all of us would choose you that we would realize there's no greater, no fuller life than a life that's dedicated to following you and living and abiding in your presence. God, I also pray for us today and for all the people who have loved ones or friends or family who they're unsure of their eternal fate. They're not sure where their walk with you was, if there even was a walk. God, help us today to just trust those people to you that even though we didn't know exactly what was going on between them and you, you knew and that you were chasing after them and running after them and that even in their final moments, the last voice that was calling out to them wasn't any voice here, but it was your voice calling out for them to choose you and to choose life. Help us to remember that, God. Help us to remember our own assurance that you have saved us that we have a blessed assurance, that we have a wonderful assurance, that we have an amazing confidence in the work that you have done that has saved us so that we don't have to just limit ourselves to living in your presence right here and right now, but that we can do it for all eternity. We love you, Father, and we're thankful for you. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.